engaging in a little light industrial ep- espionage as a treat. It's V'ger, please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. This episode's brought to you Balenciaga. Brave. New. Balenciaga. <laughs> I've been fucking obsessed with that video, man. I'm your co-host, Peter. We, we, we won't fuck around too much before we start getting the episode today, but what Peter is referencing is that the algorithm spit out into my face. Apparently, this is a trend on YouTube of AI-generated Balenciaga, fake Balenciaga videos, and you know a lot of them have like a pop culture theme. But the Star Trek: The Next Generation one was particularly choice, and I didn't even know Balenciaga is a real brand. Oh, okay. So I just figured this is just some bullshit, absurd sounding like Mugatu or some nonsense fashion thing. Talk about a home run for these fucking guys to like start a marketing fire that just went on by itself. And I'm sure all the people making these ridiculous YouTube videos and all the people like me watching it sitting around in pajamas, no one's going to go anywhere near a fucking $1,800 sock. Right. But that's uh, that's marketing done right. Some brand awareness. You know what Balenciaga is now, and you didn't know that before. I, absolutely. And I... That that TNG one we posted up in the trauma support group. I don't know if it got posted in the discord. Might as well be a pin post. I'm watching that thing like once every 45 minutes. It's just that one in particular captured the trope specifically well, because the AI art images that they created was was clearly the prompts were 80 late 80s fashion. 70s sci-fi, like late 70s, like it's that. There's some disco to it almost. Yeah. And it fits very closely to what I think Gene Roddenberry's vision for season one or Star Trek phase two should have been. Right. right. Especially like yeah. the data. I, that, that data is especially on there. You and I are going to see a lot of each other over the last next week because uh, we've decided to start reviewing Picard episodes in big chunks. So we aren't going to do too much dicking around when it comes to Enterprise. What did we watch this week? Season three, episode seven, The Shipment, first aired October 29th, 2003. So here's your, uh, this is your right on top of Halloween. This should have been the time slot given to zombie Vulcan love boat. Yeah. And by Chris Black and Brett Friedman, directed by David Striden. I have not taken this few notes in a while. I barely got through like a third of a page. And I don't think it's because this was necessarily a bad episode or anything like that. Oh, I agree. It was pretty good, I would say. Pretty good. It's it's a building block that had to happen. It's a dense one because I, I think my most positive feedback I can give this is this is a key continuity bridge episode because basically the whole season is built to this point so far because this is the very first time that Enterprise has encountered something that resembles a Zindi settlement. It's the first time they get their hands on material information about what's going on, have a conversation with somebody who has any fucking idea, get to see some things, get to interact with some things to kind of get on the trail. It's a moral turning point as well because this is the first time that Enterprise or Earth has a chance to start getting even. And up to this point, season three has been 24, right? This is all yeah. in the shadow of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. 
getting even, getting revenge. And this is where Star Trek needs to kind of begin to come to terms with its own existence because in Star Trek, the crew of the Enterprise or your your hero cast needs to be good guys. Correct. This is not Game of Thrones where everybody's a little evil. Or know. even like 24 where Jack Bauer's willing to like, you know, torture people. You know, these are not these are not people that uh should be colored with quite that dark a brush, if you can help it. You know, they have to stay on a certain side of the Mendoza line of morality. And as you've noted, they have the opportunity to blow this place up and kill everyone there and probably would be completely justified in doing so. And really a lot of this episode is about Archer making the decisions necessary to not do that. I think that that is kind of where it's at its weakest because there was more opportunity to play in that space, particularly with trip that they chose not to engage with. And instead your two characters that are even present for that kind of deliberation are, are Reed and major Hayes who we know, you know, they're military people. They just want to blow things up because that's just where they stand on things. It's their jobs. Uh, there's no moral discussion, you know, there is just purely from a tactical perspective. And this episode really just needed trip down there instead of Reed. Well, and, although they do use trip really well during the episode. So I can't say that that was incorrect, but the, the, the moral question required a more complex deliberation that this episode ultimately did not provide, but I don't hold it as too much of a negative because I love that this built on the continuity of everything else that happened before in the season and that it leads it clearly is building more for continuing on in the season. I've got some ideas on cast changes here that you've just kind of turned me on to. But let's talk about continuity because there's a lot of it going on in season three. There's a lot of continuity going on in Enterprise as a whole. It's the antithesis of Voyager. And yet... Yeah. <laughs> this episode out of left field opens with uh Scott Bakula previously on Enterprise. What? Flick the fucking needle off the record. I'm like, what what? This isn't best of both worlds where I'm coming hot off a fucking, you know, end of season finale cliffhanger into episode one of the next season, and you need to refresh me on this. Like nothing happened in what we end up calling uh, uh, Count Fuckface? What, what's that episode? <laughs> do, you, do you title that yet? Exile. I haven't titled it yet, no. <laughs> Rapist Pop-Tarts? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the, the Megan Pop-Tarts story might end up dominating the proceedings. I agree. Yeah, uh, but nothing happened in that episode that was so easily forgettable or so ground shaking that it merited being clued in at the beginning of this one. They're following know. a tip They're there, but instead you get this goofy three minute recap of a very boring episode of enterprise previous to it. I, I think it's more about you're not going to know why it, why they're here unless if you didn't watch last week, you know, and that's got to be of concern to the producers at some point. I mean, the reason you don't do intense 
serialized season-long arcs on a TV show like this, and why they have steadfastly avoided it through Voyager and had avoided it to a point to here, is you are concerned that someone will miss a week, right? This is still 2003, right? Like, there's there's no TiVo yet. You can just miss shit. It, and so if you didn't watch last week and you tune in this week, you're like, why the fuck are they in this colony? What's going on? I didn't see the fucking prior episode. First so they of all, start doing this, you know, who's watching Enterprise? Do you have, Very- do you have, the, do you have viewership <laughs> numbers of the uh, 690 people watching Enterprise. The idea that they could miss an episode of Star Trek. And not have some other friend on their AOL instant messenger buddies list that couldn't catch them up on that is ridiculous. And second of all, <clears throat> by the fact that I'm watching these episodes and it's still giving me the uh, previous on tells me that's hard coded to the tape, right? That's mm-hmm. part of the uh, an elongated intro. Uh, I'm sorry, cold open before going into the introduction. You could have taken the four minutes or whatever the fuck that recap was, which, to be fair, is free because you're just using clips from another episode. But you could have easily had like Hoshi sitting there talking. So I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe that psychic alien that, you know, was trying to get me to stay and be its concubine, like ended up giving us good information on where to finally find the Zindi. So that means that someone was during editing, they're like, there's a real concern that we didn't lay enough groundwork that is going to clue in people who missed last episode. So let's uh, let's just cut the stupid clip rehash and real goofy, man. Again, this I I can't tell you the last time I I saw one of these. Get used to it. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You know, the previously on Battlestar Galactica thing you got used well, to no, Battlestar. I, I never got used to it. I skipped that fucking thing religiously because. The batshit decision by, um, what's his name? Ron Moore. Ron Moore. Not only are we going to like cover stuff that, they don't even cover stuff that happened. They're like, here's a bunch of flash clips of shits that's going, we're going to pre-spoil you. Get the fuck yeah, out of here. That was a very odd decision on their part. It was after that piece and before the intro, there was a bunch of like half second flash forward you're you know spoiling the episode in advance of it to like hype you i guess no yeah a lot of people did not like that but they kept at it it's like anything else you show me one frame out of something i've built an entire picture of what's going to happen and then also when you're doing these recaps and it's still true even today as soon as like hey here was a throwaway detail two episodes ago and if you're really paying attention and, and being a good viewer, you know about that. But now, you know, because we're calling that to attention, you know, for goddamn sure it's important to this episode, we're going to blow it up. And it's just I don't know. I feel like it takes that aha moment away. So I don't like those. It, I try it to does. Speak. But it's the cowardice of the production, right? Like, mm. I'm sure that if the folks that are making the show had their druthers, they probably wouldn't have that shit in there. But someone at the studio, someone at the network said, if someone missed some of this, we need to make sure people are following the story, including the dumb ones that like the show. The you worst gotta, example being like every Terminator movie ever. Just spoil the entire goddamn thing in that in that movie theater teaser trailer. Oh, it wasn't Terminator Genesis like the worst version of that. 
And then, like, come spoiled the entire movie in the trailer. I didn't even bother watching. I'm like, all right, well, John Connor is bad now, and there's more nonsense. And eh. But Terminator yeah. 2, like, what a the fucking heel face turn for Arnold being spoiled in a goddamn yuck. Didn't stop it from being one of the most badass movies ever. So I was going to say speaking of badass, but I really don't think you can say no. that. Mm-hmm. The, the Terminus system Legion of Doom is continuing to meet in the teaser. Uh, it's the reptilians and uh, Degra, the the designer of the weapon, is looking. They're looking at like a Death Star, you know, hologram of the weapon, and they're talking about how they need some unobtainium to be able to test it. And once it's been tested, it'll be ready in weeks, and that's really it. So we know there's a you know the the thing's being built and it's getting close. When they cut back, they're actually in the command center and. I thought that for once they were using the, the command center set well. Agreed. We were, we were very critical of the set for the first four or five episodes. It just seemed cheap and kind of crappy and not at all giving me the vibe that this is some sort of critical node of information. And they, instead of keeping the shot close, they come all the way out. They actually show you the lights. Yeah, up which I thought was an interesting choice because those are clearly lights, production lights. But I could actually see them like being the lighting in the room, potentially. Mm-hmm. And you have this big wide shot with Reed and uh, to Paul at the table, and Archer kind of on the other side of the table next to the big view screen, and you're seeing all the terminals and all of the the different data coming in from all the different view screens. It makes it seem like more like a CIC from Battlestar Galactica. I thought the exact same thing when I watched it. And it goes back to your initial comments about why the astrometrics set piece worked. And it's because it was a very tall uh, set so they could start in high and then bring the shot down close. Them moving because traditionally they've always shot the people basically like it's the bridge. There's a, for all intents and purposes, a main view screen, which is your your main map or or data display. They put the camera in front of that data display and, and catch everybody from there. This shot, it's off to the side and giving you a nice side profile and it fleshed it out well. I still think what's missing in this command center is just nameless dudes with headsets working on cracking codes, or just some sort of busy work in the background to make it look like that this place is where they are routing all sorts of sensor and spy data. And they are, this is a 24 seven room, not yeah, four people mapping where the spheres are right now, you know, sure. Shit like that. The bridges for operating the ship. And this is for plotting where the Zindi are. Uh, Instead, they treat it effectively as uh, Archer's ready room. Cause it's only ever Archer in there or Archer plus other people. Regardless, the scene works, and during it, uh, they're looking at the advanced readings they've taken on Planet Nowheresville, which was identified to them by uh, Count Molestula. <laughs> Hoshi's ugly ass friend back on Planet. Just really liked the heels that she was in, you know? She just couldn't couldn't resist. Yeah, well... Uh, again, make Hoshi have done all that intentionally. <laughs> like, Captain, that would have been so much more interesting. He's like, Captain, I'm going to, I brought some hoving, 
you know? <laughs> I know that wasn't particularly appropriate for the mission, but I like just grabbed the wrong bag and I didn't know what I was going to do with mm-hmm. it. But it turns out I'm just going to bring this and I'm going to sex the fuck out of this guy. I will be filled with both his cum and information and I will bring that to you. Uh, I, I need to clarify something. Hoshi isn't my real name. It's just a nickname. It's what everybody calls me and it's because of my wardrobe. And I want to start using my powers for the good of Enterprise. They, so they've got this uh, this telemetry up on the screen for this manufacturing facility that uh, alien Dracula telepath has said, this is where you need to go. And the scene's going to boil down to Reed criticizing the information, saying this seems bogus as fuck for a place that's mission critical. There's no sort of planetary defense or patrol ships or anything. This is just. This is like Los Alamos. This is uh, some top secret research town in the middle of nowhere and made to look as inconspicuous as possible, or it's just bullshit. They decide, well, we've got no better option, so we're going to check it out. Enterprise is going to hide behind a moon. Solid. That may be your Starfleet SOP. Yes, hide behind moons. Mm-hmm. Moons are cover. <laughs> it's like in the gears of war of space, Moons are chest high walls, you know, <laughs> just get behind them. They're going to take a shuttlecraft down and it's going to be, as I mentioned, Archer, Reed, and he goes and tell Ranger Hayes he's coming. I'm bringing, St- call Stephen Culp. He's getting a guest <laughs> credit on this one. <laughs> Bring in the big boss with me. You know what? After that last episode <clears throat> on the Vulcan zombie ship, We've realized we need to start being very careful with what Makos we give screen time to. <laughs> that last guy was awful and uh, read like a brick. So let's see if Stephen Culp's going to be any better. You know what? And it's just it's practical as well. You, you've brought rookies on all of your missions. You got to start bringing your guys with all of the promotions, right? And this dude's a ranger. You know, he's got the ability to move and shoot and then move again. We need to start flagging when you get into this and just... Anybody out there who has not played XCOM, this is all XCOM talk. It's yeah. great XCOM talk, but just anyone out there scratching, like, what the fuck's he talking about all the time? I, Rangers and out, ranks. I'm going to hold out some hope that there's a large crossover audience of people who enjoy XCOM and watch our show. You are misreading our audience. We have a lot of, yeah, women. A lot of moms. We have a yeah. lot of women abroad. I did yeah. really enjoy the uh, backup support I got verifying. This the, the, uh, snot, the snot sucker. sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, shout out to all of our parent fans who have uh, been active lately. And uh, also, I guess, I guess while we're on the topic of, of, of Hoshi as well, being a hoe, uh, Claire, who's been a fan of ours basically from the beginning. She's like an OG. Uh, she actually answered our, our, our uh, fuck, Mary kill for female enterprise characters. And came up with a very compelling argument. It was multi-layered like 10 weeks ago. We sure. didn't see it. I, I found no fault in her arguments, particularly that, you know, the real answer, it's Mirror Hoshi. <laughs> That's all three. Spoilers. Well, you already kind of. I mean, ultimately, she's wrong because DePaul was left off the list. But I respect her decisions regardless. Yes. The decision to bring Reed and Hayes is a miss because... I've been able to tell by your comments that there is supposed to be animosity and a relationship, albeit, you know, a negative relationship. But there should be squad dialogue options between these two 
on the elevator rides on the Citadel. That's a Mass Effect joke. <laughs> it's a good one, too. I, it is I support so it. So in the Citadel, uh, the load screens in Mass Effect were masked by elevator rides, and your squad members would talk to each other. And there's certainly a lot of opportunity for that here. And Reed and Hay say virtually nothing to each other. So in this dialogue void between them, I feel that they both accomplish the same thing, which is a militant outlook of revenge on this opportunity that Archer has. And I think instead, one of these guys should have been sacked. I agree that this would have been the right place to have Trip because he needs to be the devil on Archer's shoulder that is egging him towards horrific violence and revenge. But squad spot three needs to be an angel of some sort. And that's what this episode should have been is Hoshi or Phlox or maybe even to Paul as the voice of compassion and reason and even handedness. And then someone else being vengeance and murder. You could and, even have still used Hayes in particular, right? Because you want to kind of get him out there. Because if you were eventually going to build into this plot where he and Reed have a professional rivalry, he needs to demonstrate value, right? So you restructure it such that it's two teams. It's Reed stuck back on the boat having to look after Enterprise, and he's resentful of that. And he Archer makes the calls like, Hayes, grab two of your dudes. You're coming with me. You're coming with and Trip's going to come because he's an engineer and he's going to be able to ascertain what the fuck's going on. And I'm bringing Hoshi because I need to be able to talk to these people. Which is going to be another point of criticism I'm going to have later. So like that that lineup makes a lot of sense. Like re, it's Hayes and two heavies and then your angel and your devil and Archer should have been kind of like the group that's down there. And you could have played in this space, I think, far more effectively and perhaps limiting the characters just did make things feel a little bit tighter. I will say that like they kind of got to the point pretty easily. Uh, but I feel like this was an episode where you could have had more debate over what it is you're doing rather than action. I also think that your rewrite of this would do more to really drive that wedge of jealousy into read that. Yeah. Now I'm being left off of away team missions. This Hayes guy is being picked over me, which clearly demonstrates that this guy is better at boots on the ground tactical stuff. When in reality, you can't leave Hayes on the ship to 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 run the bridge. Right. You know? Like he's good only for this. <laughs> like this is his job. That's why I brought him. Like reads up on the ships trying to like take apart the phaser rifle, maybe in some frustration of like, I got to prove my value, you know, and he's the one testing it. And he's the one that kind of has the mishap. Which also it. tracks because he's a fucking whiz kid and he's great with weapons. He overclocked the phaser. And hey, they use his fucking anti-cum force fields. <laughs> that's, that's a very important point because yeah. the EM shields that fucking Reed has pioneered for the Federation that will become the second most, perhaps third most important piece of Federation technology. Um, previously, it was only good for fighting off the cum monster in Vox Sola. This is the first time that it actually has a ballistic protective application. Yeah, it's going to catch some shrapnel. But yeah, it's just 
bit of a mess uh would have done this differently but i'm not going to criticize it too much because i think it ultimately still kind of it comes together well enough so they fly down to the surf notice how there was no discussion about may god was mayweather in this at all aside from maybe him sitting in the chair i don't think he even had i don't think he was even in the chair What's what's memory alpha? Let me control F and A weather. Well, so I I looked at the memory alpha. Typically, if an actor is not present, they will note like X wasn't in this episode or whatever. I'm pretty sure he was in it. I just don't think he had a word of dialogue. You know what? Let me go back to the angel because we did just give Hoshi an episode. I think Mayweather would be an excellent angel for this episode, especially because Mayweather is human, but he's not an Earther. It's true. And he's and also a G golly willikers kind of guy. And he looks up to Archer. Yeah. Looks up to him. You I, know, like Hoshi's got a more like familial relationship. He's been like, they done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whereas, whereas where, where Mayweather's like, gosh, he's like a father figure to him, you know? And it's now, like, yeah, that, that, that could have played well in here. The, he, and I know they won't ever go this direction, uh, but viewing, Mayweather as an outsider. Was he born on Earth? I think it would make sense that he was born on the horizon. I think he was born on the horizon. I don't think they say exactly where, but I mean, he's like basically a belter. I know you're not a expanse guy, but, you know, these people born same deal with Mass Effect uh, spacers. Yeah, void void born in 40K. Every every fictional universe has the people born in space are weird. (laughs) And that'd be a really interesting conflict point if if you had Mayweather there to champion the let's build bridges instead of destroying cities, whispering in uh, Archer's one ear and then uh, you get trip in the other ear saying, you know, burn these fuckers to the ground. That'd be a good insult for Reed to eventually come after Mayweather and be like, you know, you're a fucking traitor to Earth. You, you weren't born there. I don't expect you to really feel for the six million or seven million people. To, whatever. I, there there have oh, been yeah, a lot yeah, of. Yeah. Trip could have said some real ignorant shit to Mayweather yeah. in that circumstance, and it would have stung, and it would have created some conflict. And Archer could have had to have, like, you know, asserted himself into the argument and then had to make a decision on the basis that they got shitty with each other. Like, it gives you that bridge moment where he's yeah. like, all right, you two fucking knock it off. I'm going to make a decision here. Yep. You know, I heard you. Whatever. Shut the fuck up. Do your jobs. Um, so no security on this plan at all. This is a yeah. Commandant Tuvok administrating security on this place. No guards, no security cameras, no door locks. No one's got a gun. (laughs) This place is essentially a refinery. There's like a hundred. It's the arboreal Zindi that live there. So they're like the they're like uh, very hairy sloth looking. Is that what you call sloth? Because I just call them yetis in my notes, but I guess sloth because there is an insult that the reptilian basically like casual racism like so fucking slow yeah it's they're slots they live in trees you know like it's the arboreals this is endor yeah. right there's a shield facility <laughs> there that's the only you know bastion of civilization only there's not a garrison of stormtroopers and ATATs. it's just dudes refining ore in a remote area and they're and, and they're also they're there for commercial purposes uh the we get some backstory about the zindi in this episode, like what the fuck is with these guys? And what you, you finally have it laid out. They are all from the same planet and there were six 
Zindi species that evolved on this planet that were sentient. And of course they got to fight. And in the course of getting to fighting, they blew up their fucking planet. And the survivors of the Zindi race are the ones that were off world or on colonies at the time. And the survivors have bound together, you know, in, in common cause since. And uh, one of the races perished the avians. So the pterodactyl people, I guess that we'll never see. And so Spoilers, Joe, I figured those guys were going to come back as like the Darth Maul surprise. I didn't die after all. And I've been pulling all this. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a pterodactyl man. That was actually like the shadowy dude from the future that had been providing uh, resources to the Suliban. I apologize. I did. I have now dashed any hopes that you had that there was going to be a pterodactyl man in this episode, which yeah. I knew. Or I knew you wanted. I yeah. knew you want deep at your your Jurassic Park loving core. Oh, but true. Yeah. These guys, they're just running this like business here, and other Zindi have shown up for their ore, and they want a lot of it, and they want it really refined and. It's like made their day. They got a lot of cash in their pockets right now. They're feeling good about the universe and they're not militaristic at all. Let's talk right. about this because the revelation and it's whatever. What's this dude's name? Graylick. That's his name. Graylick Durr. 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 He is, for all intents and purposes, the head technician of the plant. Right. So Archer sneaks in. They're hiding in a fucking corner. This guy comes in with two of his underlings like, oh, gosh, you know, we need to make sure this order's perfect. The client's very interested in, you know, great purity. We can't fuck around. <clears throat> you know, we're gonna have to do whatever it takes to get him what he needs. What does he even need all that for? It doesn't matter. Whatever. Archer fingers this guy and goes, this dude can give me some answers. So. They stalk him back to his place, do a quick home invasion, put him at gunpoint, slap him around a little bit. And then Archer finally has his first opportunity to really learn what is going on with his Zindi. And it's this guy that lays on the table and says, yeah, there's there's five races calling themselves Zindi. And exactly what you said, the, the planet Zindi had five separate sentient species rise to prevalence, which is crazy to think about. Right. The only other time we've encountered anything like this is. One of uh, my favorite episodes, Dear Doctor. Right. And they note in Dear Doctor, like, this doesn't happen. Incredibly you get, rare. You don't get multiple sentient species on a planet because they all tend to fucking want to kill each other. One always that. kills the rest. Yeah. Zindi, uh, it's a fucking celebrity death match of goofy <laughs> monster people. I absolutely love the explanation because up to this point, I figured, a, you know, Zindi was like maybe a interstellar. Uh, again, an anti like a confederation or I'm sorry, confederacy or some sort of a federation of different planets aligning, or maybe there was like heavy genetic mutation that split these guys or whatever. I didn't even consider it. Maybe there was just different sentient species on the same planet. And for them to have been at war to the point they destroyed their own planet. And then once they finally had nothing and everybody's just out there with their asses hanging out like a colony here, colony there. Only after the destruction of their homeworld for them to band together because they realize they need each other to survive in the very nasty Delphic expanse. Great writing. I don't know who's behind that, but A plus, that's that's great stuff. And then what is the Zindi Council, uh, you know, Legion of Doom? 
because there's no clear cut military. Uh, as you pointed out, this is a civilian processing center. It, it's a it's a private, not private. It's a you know, it's a commercial establishment that the militant faction of the Legion of Doom has to go through the private sector to buy anthrax, basically, <laughs> to fund their their Death Star laser. But they I mean, don't have a clear like government authority, like you will give us this and we will run this like a slave camp. No, they're like, here we are with our money. We want our we want our product. Well, I mean, I think that lends to why the plan is the plan, right? They we haven't discussed, we haven't found out in the show yet why it is that they are so dead set on destroying Earth, but they are. And they lack the means to do so through a conventional military you know, ability. In fact, they are so paranoid about Earth fighting them before they're ready that, that like hiding their activity is really their primary concern. So these guys don't have a central military authority. They've got the leftover military abilities of the individual races prior to the destruction of their home planet that they've cobbled together, but it's not enough to affect their plans. That's why they got to build this wacko device in order to do so. Uh, so I like that detail. I agree with you. I really love the idea that the Zindi are, are just the, the survivors of a, of an apocalyptic war between them all. And in order to, to survive in the, in the aftermath of that, they have banded together in a pseudo democratic fashion, such that they all vote and, and make decisions collectively and largely seem to stick to it. Um, you know, this, the, the regime episode clearly showed that, the reptilians and the insectoids are willing to go a little rogue if they so fit, but kind of like within the margins. Who does garlic blame as being responsible for detonating the tectonic plates and destroying the world? Was it the insects? And R- the reptil- it was the reptilians and the insects are the ones that he blames for that. Like those two were out and gunned and they decided, okay, well to tip the scales back in our favor, we're going to do this. And it then blew up the planet. Uh, Garlic also discloses that his grandfather had lived on Zindi. So this is a fairly recent development in them losing the planet. And as you had mentioned, them not having a homeworld, a centralized base, and all of the resources that come with it really does paint a a large uh, handicap on the Zindi and reinforces why they're doing secrecy has to be built uh, order number one. Even if Zindi are technologically superior to where Earth is at right now, if Earth can just come along with a couple starships and blast whatever colonies they have from orbit or the space stations or wherever it is that they are currently uh, occupying as this displaced nation, you know, it, it, th- that that's why they can't just get into direct traditional conflict. That's why they can't have earth sending armadas in because they can be divided. They're already divided and they will be conquered easily. And it's also why the Delphic expanse races every time they've like asked about the Zindi, they're like, really? Why do you want to talk to them? (laughs) Like they're, they're a bunch of weirdos blew up their own fucking planet. (laughs) Like I got to offer you exactly. Yeah. Those guys suck. They don't know how to use soap. You don't want to talk to the guys in the nice houses. You want to talk to the, the ones who blew up their shack. Like, Come on, what's mm-hmm. with this? They they get they pin him down. They're getting good info from him, and 
Archer is making a real play at trying to convince this guy of his story, which is, I don't, you know, don't know exactly what the fuck your role in all this is, but a probe of a weapon came to my planet and killed 7 million people. And the refined components of that weapon, I can trace back to the ore you refine here. So I'm going to be real angry at the fact that I'm talking to you and I'm going to explain to you the moral consequences of your, of your acts, right? Like you've sold your goods to some folks who turned that around and murdered millions of my people. And I'm holding you responsible for that. And the episode kind of hinges on the fact that pretty much right away, relatively speaking, uh, Greylick accepts moral responsibility wholeheartedly to the point where he is an eager and willing collaborator for Archer to say, yeah, that's fucked. I don't like that that happened. That's monstrous. Those are debts that are on my conscience. May I assist you in doing crime? Which I I like that because it could have added a lot to the rewrite that we came up with. But here it does seem like a little too easy because there's no complexity to the decision-making that happens after that revelation comes into play in the middle of the episode. So what would you have liked to have seen a little bit more discussion, maybe Greylick and the, uh, the sloth people or the yetis, as I call them, have some sort of a, uh, a Troy like emotional telepathy of some, you know, I can, I can tell you're telling the truth. Or, or even if it was, if we're going to go the route of Greylick very quickly saying, I buy what you're selling me and I accept your argument, then it needed to play into the distrust that he has for the insectoids yes. and the reptilians to say, because he brings it up, like blow up the planet and be like, listen, we all agreed to get along because we have to. But if you're telling me that these fucking, you know, militaristic nut jobs blew up a planet, well, they've already done it once. So uh, I believe you, right? That, like th- that needed to happen. Or what's the unobtainium called? Chemosite. Chemosite. If a theoretical use for chemosite is a weapon of mass destruction, and Archer starts talking like this, him him to go like, hold on a second. You know, we all knew when we created the microwave that you you could put a cat in there. But no, nobody would ever think to put a cat in there. That's monstrous. Like, I know it could be a terrible weapon. You could put children in this thing. And if you're telling me what you're saying right now is telling me that they, they're they're doing that. They're putting cats in the microwave. Th- this is a problem. And this is something that based on the fact that they used to put, I don't know, mice in the oven, they already blew up on like this. This is a big fucking problem. This is what we've always been afraid of. And I'm going and to believe you're wild. And you're telling me the primates are in on this. Oh, this is bad. You know, mm-hmm. like they got like one of the reasonables in these species to get in on this. That's like, the bridge they needed to cross. And that's they laid the foundation there. Exactly. Like you said, these guys have already done crazy shit before and yeah they're doing the unthinkable they're using plutonium 
not for power generation like you know was our goal they're they've weaponized it they're making nukes and uh i will not be accomplice to that and how dare they drag my research and i think it's cool this guy takes a degree of pride he does in his work sure uh and you know again making me complicit in the death of millions and now you know my high integrity sloth ass you know i'm i'm team archer so that's exactly how that needed to play out. And moving forward, that's going to be my headcanon. So uh, Hayes points out pretty quick, like, we can blow this place up with a couple bombs. No problem. We got it. Uh, Archer's sort of nod to limiting uh, collateral damage was set up blast suppressors. Whatever so the, the ex- fuck those are. So the explosion will just be in how the facility. This, how about this? It's the 24th century. You're living a post-scarcity society utopia, right? You're making big fancy starships full of important people doing important stuff. Now, you can't help yourself. You're going to put those fucking uh, dynamite charges in the computer monitors. Right. You want the fireworks. These these panels have to blow up, but you could have a heart. You could take the blast suppressor and like install it in the seat cushion. So, yeah, you'll get the fucking sweet fireworks display every time that Romulan warbird shoots you. But you're not going to have to lose. You know, there's there's not going to be blood. It's, you get all the flashbang of the IED without, yeah. without the shrapnel in the neck. Everybody is going to go back to their post scarcity home after they complete their four year tour or whatever the fuck Starfleet is and be able to have the crazy stories of like, wow, yeah, you know, I had a council blow up in my face and it was so crazy and rad and cool and, you know, great stories. Yay. Life is fun. I'm not just sitting around getting fat on the holodeck. But at least that person gets to go home because you use this blast suppressor technology. <laughs> so whatever that is, they're going to install blast suppressors and Hayes is going to blow I'm the gonna place I'm going to put up. blast suppressors right up there with post-mortem revival. I don't know. It doesn't seem quite Fantasy as bad. Technology. It's pl- it's just a uh, it's a it's a canister vacuum cleaner. You turn it on and ship blows up before like fire and debris can get into the house. It just sucks it all up. Uh, but of course, there has to be a complication, and the complication in this uh, circumstance is that the reptilians have arrived early with Degra, and they are looking for their unobtainium. So, again, this is some like critical world building because this is the first time Enterprise like sees what Degra is, sees who this guy is that apparently ordered the unobtainium. And you've got all of the uh, reptilians; they already run into them. We do have a B plot of Trip running tests on the Zindi rifle that they captured back when they invaded the ship. And we find out it's basically got like slugs in it that make bullets. And some real combine technology here from Half Life. And apparently, killing those slugs is fucking hard because they have to be doused in enough radiation to fucking kill a human. But it does provide a starting point, as Trip literally says for finding a way to turn off the Zindi weaponry by hitting them with enough of uh, a paralyzing radiological element that shuts it down. I like uh, Fox is like, you got to use what Delta radiation because correct. gamma. Yeah. Omicron makes, radiation makes them big. <laughs> it's like getting some of the Hulk makes them big and reproduce it. It trillifies them. And, and um, there was a nice touch when he sets up the test range and he's got the big piece of duratanium and the the cum shields 
and he's doing everything he can to make sure that he can shoot this thing indoors and in the armory in a safe fashion. And then it's booby trapped. <laughs> like it's, it's got that RFID thing on there. You know, it's like non Zindi pulled the trigger time. 90s judge dread. Yeah. yeah. It's very nice. Very nice touch. Luckily for him, it's like a 45 second countdown and not like two seconds. Otherwise, the show would be down two of its three main characters. So he goes running off down the halls where in this case, luckily, the transporter is in the hallway. Transporter gets used a lot in this episode and effectively as well. They're beaming, you know, samples in and out. Uh, they they beam the the MacGuffin at the end in and out. Um this thing, this thing got fixed after that whole asteroid problem it had. <laughs> it's good to go. Mm-hmm. But uh, when the reptilians arrive, well, <clears throat> I guess the, dr- the go ahead. I meant to also criticize early on. It's Reed. It's Archer. It's Hayes. Again, they just jump right into talking to these guys, and I get that. We did the uh, the Universal Translator charades whatever routine heavily season one but for them just to start talking to this dude no problem again i really think hoshi should have been on this away team mission or something clearly out there as universal translator as this is for all intents and purposes a first contact although i guess they did talk to him on the uh trellium d or or a line uh, that they were able to pull enough linguistic properties from each of the species from the database they got from the pirates true that, yeah that the that the translators like you know just connect the Something. dots just connect the dots for me i just make me know you are paying attention to the shit you think is important but the the reptilians show up Archer's still undecided as to what to do, blow the place up or cooperate with this newly uh, uh, cooperative scientist he has captured. And they are wandering around in the woods. They have a weird CG gunfight against gun drones that the reptilian probes that try to find the chief scientist. Also, Reed drops some uh, evil undertones here. Not only in that, like, Pretty early on, he congratulates Archer's like, congratulations. Uh, we find, you know, after three months of being out here knocking around, we've got our first real chance to, you know, put a dagger in these motherfuckers. And we've got, you know, roads to follow from here and we can start getting some revenge. And that's where Archer kind of starts pumping the brakes like, I don't know what I want to do here. And then pretty quick, Reed has a follow up also of like, but what uh what are we gonna do with this dude that has seen he's <laughs> seen too much this masquerade breach over here that you've been palling around with because you know no one's got forgetful mind boss clearly we you. can't bring him along on the ship because we can't increase our crew size with you know helpful characters we we meet along the way so captain would you like me to shoot old yeller <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the vibe that's the vibe. Mm-hmm. You He's wanna... also holding his gun like a, a sword again, like a, a Nancy boy. I fucking yeah. hate oh, it. Oh god, this thing's covered in mayonnaise. I don't want to get it on my hand. It's a it's a melting popsicle on a hot summer day. Let me just hold it with two fingers. <sighs> so yeah, there's this uh, thread now that Archer has fully discussed at length. You know, given garlic insight and contact that Rajin would have 
love to have to bring before the council. And it's a big loose end. So we already cut ahead. You know, obviously, Carlick starts playing ball with Archer and wants to be a part of the the, the cure. <clears throat> but at and this they, point... Yeah, when they escape the reptilian probes is when they finally have the final discussion about Archer choosing not to blow up the facility and instead take a different tactic, which you know, Garlic has been gamefully trying to convince him to do since they started. And the plan is a, is apparently twofold. So plan A, Garlic's going to go back to the facility under the auspices that he was just like on a hunt. And, you know, they were early, so he wasn't prepared to come back until he was prepared to go back. And he's back. You need to do some testing, make sure the, all the titanium is at their standards before he's shipping it. Uh, but in reality, he's tainting it so that it won't work. And the second part is that Archer is going to slip in like Solid Snake <laughs> onto the, the Zindi shuttle and replace one of the unobtainium uh, things with one that is, uh, uh, you know, it's like the, the dollar bills in the Dark Knight. You know, they're all like, they're tainted so you can trace them. Plant a tracking beacon on them. It's the oldest trick in the book. Um, realistically, Archer should have just beamed off the fucking ship rather than the nonsense of like, let me hold your attention here while my friend sneaks around behind you. But I think the important there was... Uh, to reinforce that garlic really has been persuaded over to team earth and is looking out for Archer. And that just in case you didn't know, as the audience, we want to make damn well clear that this dude has been fully indoctrinated and he is batting for us. And that's why, where I think our prior, that's where I think our prior comments about how, uh, it's Graylick, not garlic, but we're just going to call him garlic now. Uh, where garlic needed to have that moment where he said the reason why he believes Archer as readily as he does. And if he had said, like, I just don't trust reptilians, like, they're warlike, they get in the fights, they blew up our planet. <laughs> like, I believe you if you tell me they are picking fights with someone in another part of the galaxy. And yes, I know that this stuff could be made into a weapon. So suddenly this is making an uncomfortable bit of sense. Theoretically, it could be a weapon very easily, but we've all agreed not to do that, especially in the light of that. Also, if we're going to paint the sloths as naive or quick to believe and, and want to see the good in people, why he jumps to Team Earth so easy is that you know, even though the fucking reptilians and the insects blew up Zindi, they were still willing to give them a second chance. Uh, so that would work out well. I could have also gone for a little bit of please. What's it called? Krillium? Krillian? The unobtainium? Yeah. Chemocyte. Chemocyte. You know, please don't blow this place up. This powers our reactors or they need it as fertilizer or there's something where blowing this up is going to disrupt civilian life for a lot of us. And we're already on the ropes. All Zindi are not your enemy. This, you know, please don't engage in what you see it as a military. uh, This is a military facility, but in fact, this is like terrorist shit. and, and, And please don't do that to us. Like there was. There's more of that kind of stuff to really give Archer 
that moment to say, we need to be the good guys here. I still think they communicated it, but yeah, for an I episode mean, that we're, really... we're, we're nitpicking a little, go ahead. Yeah, we are nitpicking a little bit. I, ultimately, again, I only have like a third of a page of notes, maybe a fourth, a quarter. There is not a lot that happens in this episode. You compare it to like some of the other ones where they just cover tons of ground. This seems like a very straightforward, simple episode, and that's why I would have liked to see more of this cerebral Star Trek look at the big picture, really flesh it out and turn this into a turning point for Archer and his mission. There was really space to do the moral drama if you cut out the pointless walk in the woods, go to the cave stuff. If you kept the the action focused on the home and the facility and made it about moral choice, renegade or paragon. There you go. What'd you pick in? It's got to keep the references rolling. Yeah, Uh, that that's where this episode needed to live to be great. But as constructed, there's your title, by the way, paragon or renegade arch. Yeah, renegade or paragon L for paragon R for renegade. Do you punch the reporter at the Citadel? Check YRN. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as constructed, while it is not great, it is still good, serviceable, interesting, held my attention, certainly built into the next episode very cleanly, gave you the sense of like the Zindi aren't cartoonish bad guys, which is really, I think, what they were out there to do to say like, no, this is a bunch of people who may not have any fucking idea what the rest of their race is up to. You know, like literally this guy didn't know. And because of that, that adds moral complexity to Archer's choices because he can't just like burn every reason he meets to the ground. They don't fucking know shit. They don't, they're not involved. You know, they're, they're horrified immediately that 7 million humans have been killed. Um, and that's all very good, important things to put down because Star Trek is supposed to have a morally complex universe where it's hard for the good guys to make the right decision, but that's what makes it rewarding when they do. So and let's go continuity for a quick minute here too, because season one and two did in fact happen. There is a lot, regret. <laughs> there is a lot of shades of the Suliban and the what's the militant Suliban called? The Cabal? The Cabal, right? The Cabal is not all Suliban. Yeah. The Zindi bad guys are not all Zindi. And if you're willing to cut the Suliban, the excessive amounts of slack to the point where you're doing fucking jailbreaks and putting yourself at odds with Colonel Grot and his people like this should be there. There's precedent here for him to do what he's doing. Uh, moving forward, though, we're going to get into season three, episode eight, Twilight, the little picture on memory alpha. We've got some sort of a. I don't know, shanty town of some sort, a little reminiscent of uh, the the West Texas oil driller guys and their lulzy fight with the Klingons. The ah, effect- <laughs> Yuck, real low points. Uh, the effect of a Delphic expanse anomaly leaves Archer unable to form any new long term memories. Oh, good. It's going to be a Adam Sandler episode. Twelve years later, he wakes up one morning and is stunned to learn that the outcome of the humans in conflict, including the loss of Earth and the near annihilation of the human race. So it's a little what was that? Twenty first states, thirty first states. Is that the Drew yeah, 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 the Drew Barrymore uh, Adam Sandler movie? Yeah, a little do a mashup of that and Inner Light here, right? This is 
this is a pretty good episode. You're just saying uh, that because that's Robert Duncan McNeil directing. It, the premise is very well executed and, you know, nothing quite like showing you the bad ending to set some stakes, right? So I, I like that. That's the, the premise of this. It adds some interesting texture to the characters as well because you kind of like see them changed over the course of time. And it'll be a fun uh, one to go through with you, Peter. And uh, I'd say i see you next week, but I'm going to see you tomorrow. But for the rest of you out there, I'll see you next week. <laughs>